Good morning, everybody. So great to be with you again this morning and to be sharing in God's word. And once again, a big thanks to all those who are here in making this possible. I'm so excited about this morning because uh, that song means so much to me and uh, I really feel we enter into God's presence through it. And it was when I was actually kneeling down in my lounge after Jonathan had preached and we were singing last Sunday that this whole framework of what I want to share with you this morning came into my spirit. Uh, it's totally different to what I expected. It's totally different from the schedule I'd prepared. So I do believe that God is in it. Can I uh, just uh, remind you, you know, that as we share in this together, although we're we're in the church here and you're in your homes there, I'm sitting at the table because I really am not, don't want to preach to you. I just want to share with you. I wish, as I said before, that you were in my home, that we were having a meal together, that you were on my decking and we were having a drink together and talking about the things of the kingdom because that's what I love and that's what I believe we see so much in the life of Jesus. So I really pray, as, uh, as Kathy shared earlier, that we are open today for what God wants to give us. And I want us to begin again by praying that prayer that we prayed last time that I spoke to you. It's going to come up on the screen. And uh, I'm just going to pray it, and I ask and invite you to uh, come with me on that journey of that prayer. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, please fill me anew with the power of your Holy Spirit. Open and renew my thinking concerning your ways. I want to be empowered and receive all the gifts and graces you want to give me. I surrender to your purposes for me, and I ask this also for all whom I live with and share my life with only for your honor and glory. Thank you, Jesus. I really hope and pray that as we've been traveling over these last two weeks and uh, Jonathan shared so wonderfully with us last week, that you are really seeking the Lord for all that he has for you. As uh, Kathy reminded us, I left you at a junction. And in many ways, what Jonathan shared last week leaves us at that junction again. And I want to ask you today whether you will walk with me into the rest of the book of Acts. It would be life transforming. It could be world transforming. It could even be changing our city and our church and many different things. Because when we come into the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, things change. And that's what we clearly see in the book of Acts. I really thought I was going to be sharing a little from, little from Acts 2 this morning, but that's not what I have sensed the Spirit is saying. Let me just uh, remind you what Acts 2 is about. It's the first coming of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's Pentecost Sunday, which most of us will have heard endless sermons on over the years. It was uh, the empowering of the church. The church was, came alive in the things of the Spirit and reached out into a needy world. And the disciples uh, who were there, there could have been the 120 that were praying before. We don't know exactly how many were there. But there was a force that was released. And the world is still, in a sense, moving with that force. 
You know that Peter preached a wonderful sermon. And as a result of it, the people cried out, what can we do to be saved? Let me just say this morning, there may be some who are listening to this either now or later this week who might be actually crying out that same thing. What must I do to be saved? Can I just say to you with all the sincerity that I can muster from my heart that Jesus loves you, that God loves you, that he sent his son Jesus who died on the cross for you. And amazing as it is, can I tell you that your name is engraved upon his hand? And even in this moment, dear friend, he would want you to be drawn into a loving relationship with him where you know that you're forgiven for all that is not right in your life and where you can begin a new journey in partnership with him. Friends, I invite you to think about that. I invite you to search through the church or through what you read or with a Christian friend what it means to know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior and your Redeemer. I can honestly tell you, for all that is within me, that when I became a Christian in 1974, life has never been the same. It has been amazing. Oh, I've had my ups and I've had my downs. But in it all, Jesus has been there. And I have a real sense that there are some who are listening to this this morning who need to respond to the invitation from Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He wants to offer you that now. In fact, as I sit here, I'm just going to pray that. If that's you, if you... If you know and you're not confident in a relationship with Jesus, let's just pray for a moment, shall we? Lord, I thank you that your invitation is always before us to come into a living relationship with you. Lord, I pray that even now, in this moment, there will be some who are handing over the reins of their life to you and ask you to come into their hearts, to forgive them, to set them free, to begin life in a new and a special way, born again of your spirit, your life within us. Lord, help us to receive you now in all your fullness. Amen. If you've done that, do share it with somebody, a Christian, or get in touch with our church office that we can support you in that. You will never regret it. I can honestly say that. And that's what happened in Acts chapter 2. And we're told that as they cried out, and uh, Peter said, repent, be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And we know a great number in the crowd actually did that. 3,000, the Bible tells us. And then as we move from chapter 2 into chapter 3, we discover Peter and John going up to the temple in Jerusalem, and as they go, there is a man who has been lame since birth. And he asks for help, for, for money, in order to survive. And uh, Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, says, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And there was a wonderful miracle. And it turned the man's life around and turned the lives around of many who were there. And from that, 
he preached another sermon and shared that it wasn't he that had uh, healed this man, it was Jesus, because there is salvation in no other name. It is Jesus who releases the power in the world to heal people, to restore people, to make them, to reach into the potential of all that they can be. Now, not surprisingly, and I did share this uh, a couple of weeks ago, there were some people who were very upset about that. They didn't want to hear about Jesus. And uh, sadly, it was those who should have recognized Jesus. It was the religious people. And ultimately, they took Peter and John into custody and uh, questioned them. And uh, there was a, an interesting conversation that, Jesus, uh, that Peter had with the religious people. You can read that in Acts chapter 3. I love the fact that these people who are not sure what to do with Peter and uh, John and their message said, well, one thing we do know is that these people are uneducated. These people uh, have no credentials to share this truth. Uh, they are just fishermen, uneducated men. But we do note that they have been with Jesus. I think you'll find that in verse 18 of uh, chapter 3. And it does make me think sometimes, I wonder, as we go through our life, as we travel through work or uh, with our friends or whatever exercise we may be doing with other people, do they take note that we have been with Jesus? That would be a wonderful, wonderful thing if they did and they were pointed to him through your life and my life. In a sense... That almost is the essence of what I want to share with you this morning. And then in chapter 4, we discover that they were released and uh, they went immediately back to the believers. And they had this amazing prayer meeting uh, where they asked for more boldness, uh, even against the threats, even against the instruction from the religious authorities, don't speak in this name anymore. They prayed yet for more boldness. I want to read to you the last section of chapter 4, which is really at the center of what I want to share with you this morning. I'm beginning in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they were distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. What an amazing picture. I don't know about you, but you know, if I was able to have Doctor Who's time machine, I'd be back there. 
I want to experience that. That's something that excites me. And I believe there's something of that essence that we have to grasp when we talk about empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I shared a couple of weeks ago that uh, for Sandra and myself, Sandra is my, my wife, and uh, when we became Christians in 1974, it began a life-changing journey for us. But we discovered in those early years that we sensed there was something missing. We didn't feel that we had the effectiveness, the fruitfulness. We couldn't engage with other people concerning Jesus in the manner and the way which we would like to. And we began a search that lasted three years for what we later understood was the baptism of the Holy Spirit that which we've talked about in the last two weeks. The experience where not only does the Spirit within you, but it bursts out of you. A river of living life is how Jesus describes it in John chapter 7. And from that moment on, life took on yet another uh, exciting journey of uh, all that God had for us. Yes, it's got its ups and it has its downs. But I have to say to you, there's more in the middle than anything else. And that's absolutely fantastic. And one of the things that drew us was the, the, the baptism of the Spirit came to us when a group of students visited our Methodist church here in Norwich. And the immediate sense when we met these students, I think there was about 14 of them with their lecturer uh, from the college, the Bible college they were from, is we saw in them what we had been looking for for three years. They had a love for one another that was just amazing. You just wanted to be around them. I took time off work and I gave them my uh, very specialist guided history tour of Norwich. But more of the time when we were going around, I was listening to them talking about Jesus. I was observing how they prayed for people that they walked past on the street. They had a love for Jesus and a love for others that I had never experienced before in all my life, both in church and outside of church. I have to tell you, friends, and these three words I want to give to you this morning, because I really do believe this is the essence. Oh, I'm getting excited. I feel I want to get up and dance. But I, this is the essence of what chapter 4 and what we read is all about. That dynamic, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, dear friends, is compelling, it's attracting, it's alluring, it draws you in, and you want more of it. And I desire that not only for myself, continually, even now in my 70s, I want more of it. I'm not satisfied, I'm hungry yet to see more of that in our world. I want it for our church or your church, wherever you are. I want us to be seen as the people who are empowered by the Spirit, compelling, attracting, alluring others into all that it means to be a follower of Jesus. And friends, let me take this clear to you. I'm not talking about me drawing people because I know with everything that is within me, I cannot do that. It is the life of Jesus within us empowered by his spirit that draws others into his kingdom. I ask myself, and you might like to ask and reflect on it yourself, how compelling is your life as a Christian? How attracting is your life to others as you live that out? How alluring is it? It's a mystery. They can't understand it. They won't understand the language of it. But they want to know more 
because they see something in you and me that gives them the essence, the center, the focus, the meaning, the fulfillment of what life is all about. I want to share with you what I think to be, there's many characteristics, I believe, concerning a spirit-empowered church. But I want to share with you a few this morning and encourage you to reach out to them and encourage you in your prayers to say, Lord, fill me with this, not just to satisfy myself, but so I have more to give away to others. Because that's the heart of what an empowered church is about. It's more interested in the others than it is in themselves. It's more interested in giving to, uh, out the life of Jesus, as it were, and his, his story and his love and his purposes than it is in receiving it for himself. The first thing I want to say to you, which I see in, in uh, Acts chapter 4 and in, in uh, verse 34, is this. It says there, there was none was there who had any need nor was there anyone among them who lacked. And I want to say to you that the essence and the heart, a characteristic of a spirit-empowered church is great love. Love beyond anything that this world can understand. Love which is based on the agape love, the unconditional love that we see in the life of Jesus. Love that risks everything for somebody else that they may come into the kingdom of God. And I do believe, as I read through the scriptures, and there's so much that we can gain from them, that when Paul talks about running the race of faith, incidentally, I was challenged last night in something I was listening to uh, in a service on the television, where the person was saying, it's interesting, isn't it? We don't walk through our Christian life. We're encouraged to run through it. Well, that's where I'm at, friends. I may be getting a bit old and creaky, but I'm going to run for all that God has got for me. Will you? Is that going to be your style? But it reminded me of something that happened when I was a child. I had my first bike, and uh, for one Christmas I was, uh, had a present, and it was a dynamo for the bike. And I don't know about you, but this was an old dynamo. You had a little gadget at the back, you clicked it round, and there was a little wheel that then banged onto the rubber of the, uh, of the back wheel of the bike, and as you pedaled, the bright lights got brighter. And you could feel the resistance of this little wheel. You had to really pedal hard in order to get the light bright. And I thought to myself, whoa, what a wonderful spiritual application that is. Friends, when you run and you run for Jesus, and you run to know him more, you run to serve him more, your light will get brighter. And wow, what does the Bible say? When we have one light that is bright, that's excellent. But when it comes together with others who are running the same race and peddling hard, it's a city. And what does Jesus say? In Matthew 5, a city must be set on a hill. Wow, isn't that compelling? Isn't that attracting? Isn't that alluring? If I see a city on a hill, I want to go there. I want to find out what it's about. What a beautiful picture of where we could be at NCBC. Friends, are you running the race? Is your love for others above anything else that you uh, see as a priority in your life? I really do believe that we need to grasp this in a fresh and a new way. 
We need to understand that the love that we see in Jesus, the love that we see in this early church in verse 34, is a love that says, your need is more important than my need. My decision is not to be around how it will affect me, but how it will affect you. Friends, I encourage you to explore and understand more what it means to have this great love uh, in your heart. And I truly do believe, from my own personal experience of the failures in my life and the changes that I believe God has led me into, that we cannot have that agape love. We cannot live it in the way that God wants us to live it unless we are empowered by his Holy Spirit. When our confidence, our trust, we have totally surrendered it to him. As I was thinking about this in the middle of the night, last night, I was reminded and found this wallet. It doesn't mean anything to you, but it reminds me of a young man who was on the hippie scene, who was a drug addict, who used to make leather wallets in order to raise the money to buy the drugs that he needed. But then through a witness of a Christian, he became a Christian. And I met him, his name is Tom, when I was at Bible school. We hadn't been there very long when our eldest daughter became seriously ill. She was in, in hospital and they couldn't decide what was wrong with her. They couldn't diagnose it and we were warned that she could probably die. It was a very difficult time for us. We were in America, we were away from family, away from our normal circle of friends. And I was uh, at home looking after our two boys while Sandra was in hospital with our elder daughter. She was only a year old. And there was a knock on the door, and there was Tom. And uh, I didn't know him very well, but he handed me this wallet. It's now 43 years old, all right? I don't use it now. It's been repaired so many times. He said, I've made this wallet for you, David, as a sign of my love for you. I will do anything you want me to do while Sandra is in hospital with your daughter. If you need a meal cooked, if you need to take anywhere, if you want somebody to look after the children, whatever your need is, David, I will do it for you. And this wallet is a sign of my love. I used to make them for drugs. Now I make them to show that I love people because Jesus has loved me. Wow! Now that may mean nothing to you, but for me, in that moment, it was an amazing expression, a tangible expression of the love of God through somebody I hardly knew, but who was offering his time, his talent, his gift, whatever, to help me in my situation. Friends, that's compelling. That's attracting. That's alluring. I want to know more about that. And I believe we have a world out there, a lonely world, a broken world, a hurting world, a world that where so many people don't really understand what true love is. And I'm going to be arrogant enough to say, we, as God's people, have the answer. Empowered by the Spirit, we love like nobody else loves. The next thing I want to say to you is this, that what I see within this scripture 
is that within the people who are empowered by the Spirit of God, there is a great unity. There is a oneness, a togetherness that is beyond anything that this world can show us. We read here in verse 32, and the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed were his own, but they had all things in common. What a picture. I mean, it almost blows my mind to try and picture it because I am so caught up in the Western way of thinking, this is mine, this belongs to me, I have my rights. And we live in a world like that. But you see, this is totally different. These people are saying, actually, I don't own anything. If your need is greater than mine, you can have it. Without any cost, without any looking to have anything back, but what is mine is yours if you need it. What an amazing picture. What would that mean in changing of attitude in my life? What would that mean in a change of attitude as far as our church is concerned? What would it mean? Sometimes it means stepping, stepping out in faith because it may mean as if I do this, I'm left without something that maybe I might need. But your need is greater. But there was a sense of unity in that church that that is an early church, that that is how they chose to live. I want to say three things very quickly under this topic. I'm not going to expand on them. They could go a lot further. They're a sermon in themselves. But number one is this. When you are empowered with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, you start a journey of coming to a place of inner unity. What do I mean by that? Before I knew Jesus, I was a disunited person. There were things in my personality, in my character, in my attitude that uh, were wrong. Sometimes I knew they were wrong and I just did them. Sometimes I didn't know they were wrong and I had to have it pointed out. And yes, when I became a Christian and accepted Jesus as my savior, there began a change. But I want to tell you this, that when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, it was like that change was accelerated beyond anything that I could imagine. It's like God was saying to me, you need to become a united person in yourself, body, mind, and spirit. Your emotions, your thinking, your attitudes, your response to things mustn't be from your flesh, but it must be from that united sense that God is in you and you are in partnership with him and his Holy Spirit is molding something within you. I really do believe, and uh, over the years, I believe it's been shown to me in many different occasions, both in my own life and in others' lives, that one of the greatest problems that stops unity, listen carefully, dear friends, in our individual lives and in our relationships with friends and others, in our families and in our churches, is because we do not pursue with running the race for that inner unity within. At heart, I'm a very selfish person. At heart, I can get frustrated when the person in front of me at the traffic lights doesn't see that it's turned green and I want to honk the horn. I can get very frustrated when the person ahead of me in Sainsbury's crew Q, wants to have a lovely conversation with the person at the till when I want to get out. There are all sorts of things in my attitude 
that still need to be changed. Things that actually, if I let them out, people would be, well, I'm not going to be bothered with him. But I want to say to you as powerfully as I can that the whole journey of bringing the church to where God wants it to be, to be an effective force in his world, to win the world for Jesus, is through people who are taking the journey of getting united in themselves, crucifying themselves and their attitudes in order that Christ may shine through them. And friends, I say this with great love and as much sensitivity as I can. As you take that journey as an individual, if you are a family person, it will begin to affect your family. You will be different and your attitude in your family will be different, whether it be to your husband or your wife or to your children or whatever it may be. But you will see the difference because Christ always makes a difference. And friends, whether that be something that is needful in your house, I don't know. I certainly believe with all my heart that we would see much less in, of divorces and breakdowns and separations and things like that if people understood that they are the ones that need to be changed. I'm the same. When things go wrong, I blame Sandra. When actually it's me that needs to be changed. Friends, unity is powerful. And I want to remind you of the promise of God where in uh, Psalm 133, the promise of God in Psalm 133 is this, Bre where brethren dwell together in unity. It is like the oil that runs down over Aaron's beard. It's like the dew that falls down the mountain of, of um, Hermon. And there, listen to me friends, there God has commanded the blessing. You see, if we are... If we're not in union with ourselves or others, we put the floodgate up and God's power cannot be released. And I'm challenged with the thought in my own life, and maybe you are too, would we see more miracles? I long to see more healings. I long to see more people set free from addictions. I long to see people finding their full place in Christ. But is it because we are not walking and running that race in unity in ourselves and in our families and in our church that we don't see that unity released, that power, sorry, released? Friends, I really do believe this. If we were moving in that direction, we'll never get it perfect down here before Jesus comes. Wow, how compelling. How attracting. How alluring would that be? I went to that church and my life was turned around. Friends, there would be no longer people coming in and sitting at the back of the church. We'd be fighting for the front seats because we want all that God has got for us. Great unity. The next thing I want to say to you, and it's linked, of course, in many ways, and the Bible is quite explicit about it in verse 33 in what we read. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Friends, when these things start to work together, when we begin to understand that great love is something that can only come through the power of the Spirit, when we understand that that love draws us into unity individually and corporately, 
we see the power of God released. The dunamis power of God released. Now let me share something which hinges in a little bit to what I shared uh, uh, two weeks ago. We need to recognize over and over again that we have an enemy. Satan's power is loosed in the world and he will hinder you and me from having a birth of that great love in our hearts and he will hinder us from moving into unity. We will stand on our rights because he knows that when that happens, we have no power to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We become dumb because we're so caught up in our own life, in our own agenda, and in our own journey. And friends, we don't want that to be so. I don't believe it's God's will for you. What do we understand within the context of the ministry of Jesus and the life of Jesus is he stood against the enemy. He said no to the enemy. He said, I have given you all authority over the enemy, he said to his disciples and therefore to us down the ages. We have that wonderful passage in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul encourages us to put on the armor of God because he knows, he's experienced it that the enemy is there and always attacking. And then right at the end of it, we often miss this. He says to the church at Ephesus, and pray for me, and pray for me, that I might boldly give witness to the gospel. And friends, we need to understand that there will always be something to discourage you, to stop you, to distract you, to turn you away from the purpose of God. What is the purpose of God? That you may receive the fullness of all God has for you, that you may live for him, may serve him, and see a world one for him. Whoa! I can't believe I just said that. Friends, I look at my four people here, and I say to them with all the sincerity in my heart, you, under the power of the Holy Spirit, me, under the power of the Holy Spirit, we're world changers. No wonder Jonathan Squirrel said last week, I can see that if this church was filled and empowered with the Spirit, it would change Norwich, it would change Norfolk. Who else knows where far it would go? But we have to take the journey and we have to run the race. Friends, I certainly believe that if we were really living in that manner, if I was more released in all that God had for me, dare I say it? I dare. If you were more released in all God had for you, our church would not just be something people drive past. And actually, in truth, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about you in your homes, where you live, who you work with. People will not ignore you. People will want to know what makes you stick. Why? Because to be filled with Jesus, to be empowered by the Spirit, is to have a life which is compelling. It draws people in. It's attractive. We want to be with these people. It's alluring. We don't understand it, but it's better than anything that we have seen or experienced before. The final thing I want to say this morning is 
the Bible says that they had great grace upon them. The word grace is, uh, really has two main meanings in Scripture. One is the one that we perhaps concentrate on more and more. Some people call it unmerited favor. Uh, I love the one because it's easy for a simple person like me to remember, and that is God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, in God's grace, all of heaven is opened up to me and to you. And the wonderful thing is that God wants us to come and embrace that and to live it, not as a casual thing, not in an indifferent way, not when we feel like it, but he wants the whole of our lives to know that experience of the grace of his love, the grace of his gifts, the grace of his purposes to be released in our lives. And friends, when we're living under that great grace that this early church lived under, it releases something in the way that we live and move and make decisions, the words and the actions even that we have that is compelling and attracting and alluring. Is that grace in my life? Well, maybe sometimes I wish that, well, I do wish. I pray that I would have more and more and more of it. And maybe you are the same. But we must run towards it because this is what we see within the picture of the early church. I've read a lot over the years about revival. And what we see in revival, when the church comes alive in the power of the Holy Spirit, is that great grace is moving in them in a most powerful way. It's always a challenge, I think, to me to read about the stories of the church in lands where Christianity is not accepted. You will have read it, we know, we talk about persecuted Christians, whether it be in China or uh, Iran or many other nations of the world where you can't openly say you're a follower of Jesus. And yet the amazing thing to me is that within that situation, within a circumstance where if I even appear to be a Christian, I could be arrested. The church grows faster, bigger, and bolder than anywhere else in the West. Why? Because the people who have found Jesus and the empowering of his Holy Spirit are living lives individually and collectively. It is compelling, attracting, and alluring, something that communism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism cannot offer in the same way. Great love, great unity, great power, great grace is what God offers to us. Can you resist? Maybe you've had the experience. I've had the experience. I've said 1977, but I'm not there yet. I want more of all of this in order to be more effective for him. What about you? Have you stepped away from the junction that we talked about uh, two weeks ago? Are you walking into this picture of a church in the Acts of the Apostles that is in unity, in great love and power and grace? that is seeing thousands of people want to know what all this is about. Friends, I, I want to say to you something that I really believe with all my heart. 
I pray for revival. I would love to see revival in our land. But a great writer, some of you may have read his works, called Oswald Chambers, he said, I will always pray for revival. And then I put my finger up. I point it down to my head and I draw a circle. And I say, Lord, begin in me. We're so good at looking at other people. We're saying they should do this or they ought to do that. If they did that, they would be different. That's not scriptural. It begins in my inner me, filled with the life of Jesus because I am a believer, empowered by the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, for the very reason that Jesus spoke to those early, his early disciples, then you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Oh, friends, I've got about a third of the way through my notes. I finish with a very story, and I, forgive me if you feel this is in any way wrong. But I want to share it with you. I couldn't get away from it in, in the night when I was praying again about today. Some years ago, uh, up in a city in northeast India, uh, there was only a very small church plant that was there. And somebody who was a church planter, an Indian guy, said these people need to hear the truth of Jesus. This town had uh, hundreds of thousands of people in it. And he decided to hire the biggest hall in the place, called Tura in the Garrow Hills. And uh, he said, I'm going to trust God to fill it for Friday night, all day Saturday, and all day Sunday as a revival meeting. He was a very uh, pedantic sort of person in the sense he liked the detail, so uh, he counted all the seats. And there were 996 seats in this hall under a corrugated iron roof in the hot Indian sun. And a stage. It was tiered seating. Now, friends, I, I do say this. God has blessed me beyond anything I deserve and ever will. And he asked me to be the evangelist. It was one of the hardest things I'd ever had physically. It was so dehydrating. We saw tens of people come to faith on the Friday night, on the Saturday morning, and on the Saturday afternoon. He was going to take the Sunday morning event, and I was going to finish the weekend. And he said to me, David, uh, this is on the Sunday morning, David, I think God has spoken to me. Will you teach solely this afternoon on the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I hadn't taken any notes. I just, well, do you certainly feel as though I'll pray about it, I said. And the more I prayed about it in my hotel room, I wish I could show you a picture of that hotel room. It was beyond belief. But the Lord convicted me. And I shared very simply the seven occasions in the book of Acts where the Bible tells us people were empowered with the Holy Spirit. You can look them up yourself. I probably will give to Lynn tomorrow some of the uh, texts for that. They might like to circulate it. You can talk about it in your groups. Seven occasions of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
I rather laugh to myself and think, God must think we're very deaf, that we have to hear something seven times before we believe it. Friends, I shared that afternoon in the simplicity as best I could and offered for the people to come down to the front of the, of the uh, hall. We don't know how many, but we were there two hours praying for people. Two hours. And people were coming into the baptism. They were released in their own prayer languages. There was excitement and joy beyond anything I've ever seen before. Three years after that, I went back uh, to that same place to take part in a conference. And one of the most amazing things to me, and it, uh, it broke me down in tears, was when I walked into that very same hall and I was surrounded by men and women and children. I got saved at that meeting three years ago. I was filled with the Spirit there. I've planted six churches. I'm a leader in this church. I'm going to have extra Bible study in order that I can be more effective for Jesus. Friends, it wasn't me. Please hear me. It's nothing to do with me. I'm a secondary modern school kid. Failed the 11 plus. But I love Jesus. And I know the only saving grace for this world and for this city and for this nation is for a church to be filled with the Spirit and be so compelling, so attractive, so alluring that people will be drawn to his people because of the life they see within them. Let's pray together. Father, you know our hearts, Lord. Lord, I ask even now that you'll be so moving upon many who are listening this morning or in this coming week that they would open their hands even now repeating the essence of what we prayed at the beginning. Lord, empower me, baptize me, immerse me in your Holy Spirit that I might be all that I can be in you to touch a needy, broken, sad world with the love of God in Jesus Christ. Give me your gifts, Lord. Release me in my own prayer language that I may learn of you. Lord, I want all that you have for me. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I receive. In Jesus' name. Amen.